Hey, good morning, Cap City. It's good to be in the house of the Lord today. We're going to let you have a seat for just a second. We want to share a few things with you. Um, first off, you didn't get a bulletin when you came in today. So we had a software issue, but we're going to make sure everything you need to know comes out of my mouth or on a piece of paper back at the Welcome Center. Um, the one that I'm holding right now 
uh, says 21 days of prayer. And some of you that have been around the church for a while um, are familiar with this idea. It's out of the Church of the Highlands. Um, and the church has previously participated in, uh, in, in this event. We're not going to host anything here at the church, um, but it's, it's a pretty powerful idea uh, that takes place every morning at 7 o'clock and 10 o'clock on Saturdays, 7 o'clock a.m. during the week, 10, 10 a.m. on Saturdays. And uh, we would really encourage you to just grab one of these, log in, consider it. Um, man, I'd love it if anybody in here decided they were just going to pray for 21 days for any reason. Um, but you have a little guide to do here. Um, and a big part of what that is, uh, is them talking about uh, habit development. The idea of doing 21 days, maybe you get in the habit, maybe after it's over, you might pray for day 22 and 23 and 24 and keep going. So there's going to be some people in the church that I know that are participating in this. Uh, Cindy was great enough to put together just a, a small informational sheet here for us. So grab one of those, um, if you will. Just a reminder, when we take offering at the end of the service today, that we're uh, sponsoring Awana Kids. Um, so we host Awana here during the summer, and we're looking for 40 sponsorships. Uh, last Sunday, we, we got four, so we're 10% there. Um, but we want to keep going, and we know it was the first week, and we know a lot of you decided this week to sponsor. So you can mark one of your envelopes uh, or make a note if you give online uh, on the website uh, or via the Cash app that you can also get information for on our website as well. Um, so be, be sure to check that out for us. We're going to be taking communion today. And uh, I'm pretty excited about taking communion with you. I hope you are too. It's a big, it's a big deal. Um, I want to take just a second to recognize Doris and Gloria and Carl. Saw them all getting this together. Would you give them a hand this morning? Um, there's so much that just happens, right? Somebody comes in and goes, hey, look, there's tables there. And there's nice tablecloths on them and all the elements are out there. Somebody did that and it matters. And uh, so thankful for any part that any of you play. Um, but always like to take some time out from here, to, here or there to just kind of make sure people are recognized for, for what they do. Um, the word grace has been uh, heavy in my prayer life the last couple weeks. You know, in these last couple weeks, somebody did something, and I didn't want to show them grace. You ever been there? Then want to show them grace. And I was talking to the Holy Spirit about it. And right, you, you ever pray this, but God, you ever use that, that two-word two two phrase in your prayer life, but God. I'm really struggling to show this person grace. And the Holy Spirit just impressed him on my heart. That's something I've never struggled with, Jonathan. The phrase instant grace came to my mind. Do you know that with Jesus Christ, there is instant grace? We experience guilt and shame. That's from the enemy. That's from our, our flesh. That's from our past. In the Spirit, when we come to the Father, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just. But how do we pray? Remember how he taught the disciples to pray? We call it the Lord's Prayer, but a lot of people call it the disciples' prayer because it was the answer to the question that they asked, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? And I know I'm going to be paraphrasing, and you're not maybe going to like how, how I move this around, but he said, and I want you to pray to me, God, only forgive me the way I forgive others. That stinks sometimes, doesn't it? Because he really doesn't do it. 
right? Jesus couldn't say that's the way it is if that's not really how it is. We're going to talk about being reconciled today to the Father and to others before we take communion. We're going to talk about examination of head and heart and mind and body. Ladies and gentlemen, if you've asked God for forgiveness for any length amount of time where you were withholding forgiveness for someone else, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. You're going to have the opportunity today. You can do it right now because you know that's the principle. But we're getting ready to sing a song. And I know after everything I just said, it's going to feel really upbeat. The song's called, This is Amazing Grace. I thought, what if we just came in here this morning as we take communion and we remember the body and the blood? What if we came into worship today with this desire to celebrate Jesus? What it, I mean, I, I can't think of any time that it wouldn't be right to celebrate Jesus. Man, I just, this morning I just woke up with that thought. What if we just celebrated Jesus? What if we just went crazy about Jesus? Not all the things, not all the stuff, not all the to-do list, not even about the service that we have to set up, but what if we just came in and got so crazy focused on Jesus? Man, when we celebrate things, we jump up and down at a TV for a bunch of kids playing football. We, we hide behind something and jump out and say surprise because it's somebody's birthday. One of my pastors said, you know what you did? We don't need to applaud for your birthday, Ed. You didn't do anything. You're just there. But Jesus Christ, the Son of God, stepped down from glory, showed us the perfect way to live, and then he just gave up everything for us. And he said, he said these words that just ought to make some of us excited today. He said, if I go, he goes, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when I come again, I'm going to receive you unto myself. And here's a thought that I had the last time I was looking at that passage. The longer he takes, <laughs> the more he's preparing. Every day, heaven's getting greater because Jesus said that while he was waiting to come get us, he was going to be preparing a place. Let's get back up on our feet. And I want you to celebrate Jesus this morning for everything that he is to you.
that it is that you've called us to do, Lord. And the truth is we're not enough, but that's why we need you, and that's why you sent your son to die, that we could have his righteousness given to us if we just accept that gift, Lord. No matter what we're feeling, no matter what the world is telling us that we should feel, you are a constant. We can always come back to you and read your word and know what truth is. I just thank you for the ways that you showed up in our lives. At the end of the day, when the world seems like there's so much going on that is evil and wicked, and things that we don't understand. We can look to you and know that you are good. You are good through and through. And you will take care of us no matter what happens. We thank you and we love you. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat this morning. I was going to tease somebody about their birthday. I should have uh, teased Tamara. Tamara's the young lady standing over here. She turned 20 this week. And uh, I, do, I do want to take a second to encourage. You know, I've got a son named Ben. Um, ben is seven. And Ben is, I, I know you're going to think this is ridiculous. He's only seven. But I'm going to tell you, Ben is the greatest encourager I've ever met in my entire life. Entire, let me give you an example. As far as I know, Ben has never heard me preach. I mean, there might have been a time that once or twice where he was stuck in the sanctuary when I was preaching. But I will be, I will have my iPad open or my Bible or, or whatever working around the house. And I'll be kind of stuck at a point. And Ben will walk up to me and go, Dad, you are the best preacher, man. <laughs> you don't know anything, Ben. What are you talking about? But then I keep going. It seems like the next point comes out. Um, I used to love to work out, and now it's something on the to-do list that I hope I do twice a week. Uh, <laughs> you all know what I'm talking about. And the other day, I was doing sit-ups, and I did a set with way, le like way fewer reps than I used to do, right? We all know what I'm talking about, like different kind of rep this day, more at the kitchen table. But uh, I did a sit-up, so I was laying on the floor, oh, man, <laughs> like that was set one. <laughs> and uh, Ben walks by and goes, Dad, you are the best at working out. I'm going, man, you're wrong, buddy. But <laughs> there comes another set for Ben. And, and I just Ben has, has encouraged me to be a better encourager. And, you know, I, I just thought, I, I found out it was Tamara's birthday. I'm not going to sing to her. I'm not going to make us clap for her necessarily because it was her birthday. Like I said, you didn't do anything, Tamara, uh, just your birthday. Um, but you know what she did do? She turned 20, and she's up here on stage singing for Jesus. And when she's not, she's back there at the Welcome Center. Some weeks she's doing a little bit of both. And so will you give Tamara a hand? Because that's where we want our young people. 
a lot of y'all know the story of this church. Tamara, she'll get what I'm saying. She shouldn't be here anymore. Statistics would say she should have left. There wasn't anything. But instead, she embraced um, her walk with Jesus, and she was involved and engaged. And I think she's a great representation of what we need to see more of in the church. And then, you know, how about this drummer, Terrell? You like that guy? Would you give Terrell a hand? So this is just for a little fun until you all tune in and decide to start listening to me. So we're sitting in the back. I'm going to ask you a question. We're going to take a little poll, and I need, you to, I need everybody in here to be very honest with me. Does everyone in here know that Firestone sells tires? If you know that Firestone sells tires, would you raise your hand? You know, you, okay. Now, how many of you know that Firestone has a golf course? Do you know, if you know that. Okay, so it was like 75% of you and like 10% of you. This shirt is a Firestone shirt. And when I think of Firestone, you got to understand, I play golf. When I think of Firestone, I think about Firestone Country Club. I wanted to play at Firestone so bad. It's up in Akron. We lived there for four years. I was trying to trick my way. Like, it costs like $400. I want you to know you have a pastor that doesn't pay $400 for a round of golf. You can, you can buy me gift certificates to go play golf for $400. That's acceptable because I don't have to feel guilty about it. And you can feel good because you're blessing your pastor. But... I, I coached golf. I do coach golf, and I coached, I've coached golf for a while. And so I was coaching golf in that area. And, I mean, I really was. We're like two, I told Alice, I was like, man, I know it would be crazy to spend that much money, but I'm never just going to drive up here. It's right down the road. I should just go play. And I, I did. I prayed about it. This is stupid. I shouldn't have prayed about that. The answer is no. Don't go do it. And the week before we moved down here, a girl that I coached said, hey, coach, I just got a job at Firestone. Anytime you want to come play, you can come play for free if I'm working. I was like, yeah. So we're sitting in the back. I don't think anything of it. I put it on because it's white and red and blue. Like, I like the shirt. But it does say Firestone right there. And any of you that play golf are going to walk by and go, hey, that's a cool shirt. But for the, for the 150 of you that don't, Terrell was looking there and goes, oh, you work at Firestone? And I'm still, I'm still, like, I'm still playing golf. I was like, I don't work, like, dude, the golf cart course is three hours away. And I was like, what? He's like, you know, do you sell tires? And I was like, no, I don't sell tires. I'm the pastor here, right? Like, now all you that are in the back know I'm not, like, getting it word for word, but you, you know what I'm saying. And I was like, there's nothing wrong with selling tires. I used to sell tires. It's a good job. But... Just as we get into this message today, just a good reminder, because we're going to talk a little bit today about reconciling with others. And it's so good when you spend like hours and hours and hours trying to come up with a good illustration. Then your drummer's like, do you sell tires? And it's like, oh, that works even better right before the service. <laughs> People don't always get what you're saying. Does that make sense? You're trying to communicate one thing, and they keep hearing another. I mean, if Terrell wouldn't have said anything, he would have went, oh, my God, I think our pastor sells tires. Like, and I'd be like, where in the world did you get that I sold tires? How often do we misunderstand each other? That's not where we're headed right now, but here in a little bit, we're going to talk about reconciling to others and how so many of the issues that we have between us just have to do with misunderstandings, not clarifying things. And God wants us to be crystal clear about our relationship with him and our relationship with each other. Um, so we're the... the uh, the text are not going to be on the screen today um, because I'm going to jump around a little bit. But we're going to start in Exodus chapter 12 if you want to if you want to find a text. And uh, like I said, it might just be easy to to jot down the passages as we go. Um, 
but the illustration I brought with me this morning, I brought, I brought this with me today. You, you can't see it or read it necessarily, but I'll talk about it so you know. Um, it says, my first communion. It says, my first communion. Um, my father got this for me. I'm so glad him and mom are with, with me here today as we take communion. He got this for me to commemorate my first communion. And I, I remember it like it was yesterday. And I mean that. You know, sometimes we say remember something or, or yeah, it was a good, it, it was a good thought. Um, but I mean, I, I remember it. It was a Sunday evening service on November 11th, 1990. And I, I really remember that. You can look at this after the service. It's not engraved or anything. Like, I remember it. And it was exactly a week after my birthday, right after my eighth birthday. And it, it took place at Bible Community Church. Um, my, dad, my dad preached a lot there. In fact, he preached there so much that they took down the sign that said associate pastor and put Pastor Tom Barker. He had his own office. He preached in another church so much he had his own office there. Um, but he gave this to me, and, and I remember that night vividly. I, I can't remember whether or not we were in revival. He, he guest spoke over there a lot, but I mean, I remember he did a revival over there that was 30 days long. People just kept getting saved, and we, we just kept going with it. Um, but you know, we, him and I, we didn't talk about communion that day. I don't even know if going into the service if I knew we were taking communion. He didn't uh, check or ask me if I wanted to take it that day. But when it came time to take the sacraments, he just called me up on stage with him. And uh, he handed me the elements, and I participated. And I remember I was wearing, I was wearing white Nike shoes that night, like in case you were wondering. I, I don't know if I could pull off white Nikes. Allison says there's things like that I'm not cool enough to do, so just be me. So I don't know if that means that I'm not cool. I don't, what am I supposed to take from that? Um, it's like, I can, you know, I can't wear white Nikes, and I can't wear tire shirts anymore, but... Um, I remember the white Nikes because I spilled, I spilled the grape juice that night, and I was mortified for a couple reasons. Number one, as a child, we're all trained heavily that grape juice stains everything. These were brand new white Nikes, right? I'd go to school like I was going to have this purple stain on my, on my shoe. Um, but also, it, 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 it was a, I did understand what was going on, and it represented... Uh, the blood of Jesus Christ. I didn't know what to do with that. This is my first communion. I, 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 if an eight-year-old can be nervous, I guess I was a little nervous. Um, but all in all, I knew what was going on that night. My dad knew, I, my dad knew um, what was going on that night, or that I knew what was going on, um, because a parent should have an idea about what's going on in their kid's spiritual life. Did you know that? Like, you should have an idea. And, and let me give you something. This has, been, this has weighed heavily on my heart. And, and I know I'm digressing a little bit from the message, but I think these are important things. And as your pastor, we're just going to have these talks and conversations as we get to know each other at time. This may sound funny. Don't assume that your child, because you bring them to church, has accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Okay? It, it's important. They, they need, that's a decision they need to make. It doesn't magically happen because they just show up here. Right? We all know there's people that show up here and don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Right? We want more of them here. But... Pray, pray for their salvation. Know and confirm that they've made that decision. And it's okay that you push Jesus on them. I know some of you aren't going to like this because you have a different philosophy, but it's my job to help you manage your philosophies on spiritual, spiritual things every once in a while. The Muslims are pushing it on their children. The Buddhists are pushing it on their children. You better believe... I don't want to say push, I'm not trying to beat up on any of the other religions, but if you were born into a Catholic family, some of your parents won't come to your wedding if you don't get married in a Catholic church. 
Jewish people, I mean, if you read the Old Testament, it was like, oh, you're going to be Jewish. You don't have a choice. I know social media tells you you're going to get some kind of parent award for letting them find their own way. But it's our job to teach them to love the Lord their God with all their heart and their mind and their soul and their strength. They said, write it on the doorpost and hang it on the walls and speak it as they come into the house. Speak it as they go out of the house. Give it to them in the morning. Give it to them in the evening. If you want to let them find their own way, the enemy's got some instruction for them, okay? So when we don't put the gospel message squarely in front of our children, we are doing them a huge, huge disservice. I'm so thankful that I had parents and grandparents and family and church that thought that I should be inundated with the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you know this is 100% true, you shouldn't have any problem making sure they know it. Did you know your kids are going to ignore a lot of the instruction you give them? Maybe your kids are different than mine. I don't know. Apparently, they're way, way ahead. Kids ignore instruction, sometimes in a season. But what's Scripture tell us? That if they're taught that when they're young, when they're older, they can return to it. They have a reference point. Make sure that they know that mom and dad love Jesus. And that that's the greatest thing that they want for them as well. But anyhow, um, this plaque represents a memory for me a father and mother who, who cared for my spiritual life. And I'm not much of a nostalgic person. I'm really not. You'll find that out as, as time goes on. But we are taught to remember not just good things, but some bad things as well. Did you know that? We're supposed to remember from where we came, not to dwell on it, not to be disabled by it, but to, be, to recognize the miraculous transition that took place. And to be reminded that we never want to go back. We don't want to go back. And today we're going to take a little bit of a walk through scriptures towards our time of taking communion together. And we're going to start by remembering a few things. The first idea that we remember is our sin. We remember our sin. Let's look at Exodus 12, 7, and 8 and the instructions given to the Jewish people for that night of the Passover meal. Some of you that have been with the church for a long time. Some, you'll have to forgive me every once in a while. I'm going to give some people some background so that if they're new to us um, or new to, to the Bible, that they ha- have an idea what's going on. The Jewish people were in slavery for over 400 years in Egypt. We preached about that the first few weeks I was here. And they came out as a result of 10 plagues or, or 10 uh, viruses, natural disasters, different things that were miracles that God put in place. And the 10th plague was the plague of the angel of death where the firstborn of every family in Egypt would be killed. And there was a way in which the Jewish people could avoid this death angel. And there were instructions that you can go about, go to Exodus and, and, and read about, but they were supposed to kill a lamb. And if they, they didn't have enough people in, in the house to to eat a lamb, then you're supposed to go to your neighbor's house and you split a lamb. And when you slaughtered the lamb, you're supposed to take the blood from the lamb and you're supposed to put it around your doorpost so that the death angel would know that where he sees the blood, he passes by, right? We know where, where, where that story ends up. But as they talked, there was a, a certain way they were supposed to prepare and eat the meal. And listen to what it says in Exodus 12, 7 and 8. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts of the lintel of the houses in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that same night, eating lamb, roasted with fire, roasted lamb, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. What, what was that supposed to represent? Exodus 1, 13 and 14 says that the Egyptians compelled the sons of Israel to labor rigorously. 
They treated them like slaves and beat them when they didn't do what they were supposed to do. And they made their lives bitter. We're going to hone in on that word bitter for a minute. Bitter herbs that they had to prepare the food with. They made their lives bitter with hard labor and mortar and bricks and at all kinds of labor in the field, all their labors which they rigorously imposed on them. Bitter life as in bondage to sin, right? The whole, the whole idea of Egypt and slavery, that was an allegory for the sin that we would be rescued from. The Old Testament is very allegorical in leading us to the New Testament and the work that Jesus would do. But how about this insight for us? I, I found this a, a, a incredibly interesting as I was reading on this text. The bitter herbs that were to be used were to call to mind the bitterness of life experienced by Israel and Egypt. We just clarified that. And this bitterness... was to be overpowered by the taste of the lamb. Isn't that good? The bitter herbs, the taste of the herbs was supposed to be overpowered by the sweet flesh of the lamb. The bitter herbs actually stimulated and increased their appetite for the lamb. The bitterness of sin in our former or present lives should have that same effect of increasing our desire for oneness in relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, listen, I know some of you are praying for people to get saved. And we've all learned over the years the different prayers you pray for people to be saved. And some of you, including me, along the lines have prayed something like, oh, God, if you have to just tear their whole life apart and take away their house and their car and break their back and cut off their left toe. What? I, no, that's what God said to me one day when I was praying that. I'll take care of it. You don't have to impose all this pain on them in your prayers. I really think some would be like, you've been praying what for me? I'm going to pray that God has to bring you down on your face. You can do that, but don't tell the person. Wow, I want to join this group of people. They're praying that God would just stick my face in the dirt. <laughs> Little passionate about this lately as God's been changing my prayer life. Here's what you can know, though. I just told you. According to scriptures and what we understand from our Christian experience, the bitterness of sin as it continues, as they continue to eat that, it's causing this craving for something else. It's causing this desire for something greater. That's what happened. This isn't good enough. This isn't good enough. And the more that they eat of that sin, the more that God wants to break through and give them something of sustenance. Like the bondage and slavery that the Israelites experienced in Egypt. We should all view our sin as a bitter memory. If we are at all happy with the sin that remains in our life, we have downplayed the enslaving power of sin and we have not allowed the grace of God to have its full redeeming power in our lives. We mess up in Christianity sometimes. We say, well, I haven't grown to this. I haven't, I'm still struggling with this. Look, it was either Egypt or no Egypt. You get it? Like, when we talk about allegory or metaphor and we look at that story, they couldn't live with one foot in Egypt and one foot in the promised land. Come on, church. We got to go. We got we to get serious about this. There's no room. No part of us can be left in Egypt, right? He just said, take everything with you. Take the kids. Take the animals. Take some gold and silver from your neighbors. Take whatever was good from them and let's get out of here. We remember sin and then we remember the sacrifice. There's a lot of things that we can remember, right? He just said, remember me. Remember that? We'll talk about that here in a second. But Jesus says, oft, as, you, as often as you eat and drink this, remember me. That's, that's a big, that, those two letters, M-E, Jesus, that represents a whole lot 
when you talk about remembering Jesus. When we remember the sacrifice, listen to this account. This is from, uh, some of you are familiar. I know Pastor David preached a lot out of the message. It's a, a par- paraphrased version of the Bible. Um, the author of the message, his name, his name is Eugene Peterson, and he recounts his view of sacrifice through the eyes of a young boy working in a slaughterhouse. He worked in a slaughterhouse when he was a kid. He said in his, memoir, in his memoirs, he writes, One year we had a pastor who specialized in the tabernacle, the temple, and the whole Hebrew sacrificial system. He took on the book of Leviticus as his text, and he preached three months of sermon. I mean, I feel like if I announced that, you'd be like, we can go check out that other church down the street for a couple weeks, like 12 weeks on Leviticus. But he said, Eugene said, I was immediately interested. He said, I was an insider to exactly this sort of world. He said, I grew up working in a slaughterhouse. I grew up experiencing the sights and the sounds of animals killed and offered up. I had spent countless hours handling the bloody remains that had fallen from the mutilated carcasses of the swine. It was not a pretty thing. Church, this morning, we need to remember that the sacrifice of Christ was not a pretty thing. Our nicely sanded and and varnished crosses hardly provide us with a proper representation of the instrument of torture that Christ experienced. And I don't want to go after any of your sacred cows. And I'm not talking about the church. I'm talking about your own personal life. And I'm not looking at all of you. I, by the way, when I'm up here and these lights are on, I can barely see any of you, so I can't see your reactions, can't see what you're wearing mostly. I can see some colors, but um, just talk to God about wearing a cross around your, neck, around your neck. Talk to God about pictures of crosses all over your house. I mean, if Jesus would have been beheaded, would we have pictures of guillotines everywhere? Doesn't that seem a little cruel? In fact, I have some Jewish friends, and I've, I've walked in to, with them to Protestant uh, sanctuaries before, and they struggle with it a little bit because they've properly taught it. I don't know if we've went to the extent that we need to to talk about what the cross is. Go study the cross a little bit and, and, and see how the people died. See how they would just hang individuals in the courtyard so as people went through town. It's no good. It's no good. Remembering the sacrifice of Christ is important because in his sacrifice, not only did he overcome our sin, but he acted as the ultimate sacrifice so that never again we would have to participate in the previous rituals carried out by the Jews for the forgiveness of sin. Through his sacrifice, the veil was torn, and now we have direct access to the Father through Christ's atoning blood. We remember our sin, we remember his sacrifice, and we remember our salvation. I wonder how frequently you remember your salvation. How frequently do you remember your salvation? Intentionally take time out to think about the idea. Uh, I think of, some of you probably remember a song called, I Remember the Day. And the chorus went something like, I remember the day that the Lord saved me. Right? And so we have that. There was another Southern Gospel song, we just get a, Glory, 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 somebody touch me. You know what I mean? Some of you are starting to like feel it in your bones right now. And then, for the ne- right, everybody knows the next seven verses. They're really easy. It was on a Monday, somebody touched. It was on a Tuesday. And you know what? Like, I, listen. I remember being in church services. I remember being in church services. 
My Uncle Mike comes to mind. Uncle Mike passed cancer man, 20 years ago now. We prayed for Uncle Mike. Long, long time. Long, long time. His wife, Aunt Peggy, his four girls, they wanted to see their dad get saved. Smoked like a train. He'd come to the fish fry at church. He'd Just as long as it wasn't anything too serious. I've never seen anybody get saved like Uncle Mike. Man, he got saved. He wouldn't shut up about Jesus. Every person, every person. He just tell about, I mean, this guy went from being Uncle Mike. Y'all know what I'm talking about. When you're a kid, there's some people in the family, you go to the family, get together. And it was like, oh, Uncle Mike's in that room. I, I'd met, you know, messed up in front of Uncle Mike once or twice. Maybe he'd been a little gruff, that kind of thing. And I mean, he could just see it after he gave his life to Jesus, just filled, just filled with the joy of the Lord. Overwhelming Holy Spirit died just a couple years after he gave his life to Jesus. It was a tough one for everybody. But we didn't have any doubt where he was. And I'll tell you what, there's a couple times I was in church where there was a guest, you know, a Southern Gospel group come in, they were singing that song. And everybody in that building knew what Uncle Mike's day was. Right? You, you know what I'm talking about, right? If you've been around it, when the, your day of the week came up, you were supposed to stand up and keep singing. And you're all Sunday. You know what I mean? I know some of you can come up and tell me stories, but like 80% of you are Sunday, right? I got saved in Sunday school. I got saved. But man, I, I, you're, you're not a bad person if you got saved on Sunday. <laughs> Hear me? <laughs> but those days of the week were kind of fun because you just kind of knew there was a story. Somebody got saved on Tuesday night kneeling by their bed. There wasn't any tricks, there wasn't any music, there wasn't any big altar call. The Holy Spirit just spoke to their heart, said it's time, said it's time. You were saved from the bitter herbs of sin. You were freed from slavery. The Apostle Paul says, why do we want to mess around back there anymore? Do you remember your salvation and how you changed? And I'll tell you what, church, you might have a day that you marked on the calendar, and I was saved when I was five or six, and then I had to go through adolescence and messing some things up as a young adult. But man, you can, you can pick a day, but man, there should be somewhere in your life that you can say, God got a hold of me and I am living a transformed life. And I don't want anything to do with the mess that I came out of. I don't want anything to do with it. And everybody should know. Yeah, give the Lord a hand this morning. I don't want anything to do with my former life. I want everybody that comes in contact, you know what, every once in a while somebody should go, they don't tell perverted jokes. They don't. They don't swear. They don't go those places. They don't do those things. Do you know why you should live a life of holiness? Not because Emmanuel says not to, not because your pastor preaches against it, but because that's how people know that you are different. Sanctified. The primary understanding of the word sanctified is separated. To be separate. We call ourselves a holiness people who are called to sanctification. You should stand out in a crowd as somebody that's not doing what the rest of culture is doing. And do it intentionally. And do it with conviction. He said, as often as you participate in the Lord's Supper, do this to remember me. 
So when we remember our salvation, we can't help but remember Jesus. Forgiveness of our sins is important. And understanding the tremendous ramifications of Christ's sacrifice cannot be undermined. But we would be nothing short of foolish if we don't remember that through Christ's body and blood that we have salvation. New life in him. Salvation not only frees us from sin, but it frees us to a life that can be full of joy and the blessed hope of future life in him. Both here on earth and in heaven when we are called up to be with him. Right, Carl? So we remember our sin, we remember his sacrifice, and we remember salvation that only comes through Christ Jesus. And as we continue to move towards taking the Lord's Supper today, I want to draw your attention to another R word, reconcile. Reconcile. Two basic definitions of reconciliation today. A simple theological, right, simple theological. We hear those two words together a lot. A simple theological definition of reconciliation is returning to faith and harmony after a conflict. We want to use this first definition to discuss the relationship between God and man. A returning to faith and harmony after a conflict. So what is this conflict? Well, and hey, real quick, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you're going to hear everything you need to to make that happen today, okay? We are each born with a bent towards sin. That is a foundational belief that we have as Christians, that we are each born with a bent towards sin. In addition to this, Jesus revealed that when we commit sin, we actually become the slave of sin. It becomes our master, and we end up giving ourselves mind, will, and body in service to it. We know what that feels like. We know how hard it can be to escape a particular sin or an addiction or a bad habit, especially those that have been modeled to us by our parents or our friends or our family or this culture today. This sounds like a great conflict to me as our slavery to sin keeps us from being in fellowship with Christ. It does. It keeps you from that fellowship that you have with Christ, and that has to be reconciled. But as Jesus explained, he is the key to freedom. If the Son makes you free, he said you will be free indeed. All right. Our freedom comes in Christ. Jesus has already paid the penalty and completely broken the power and curse of sin through his death on the cross. The power of sin is void in your life unless you give it to it. Because Jesus already conquered it. The Apostle Paul explained that if a man's faith is in Christ, he is transformed and his entire spiritual status changes. He becomes dead to sin and alive to God. Sin no longer has the right or authority to reign over you or to make you obey its every whim. Instead, he is free to live as someone alive from the dead. Graves into gardens. Graves into gardens. So now we use our body for good as an instrument of righteousness rather than a tool of bondage. Through the body and the blood. Jesus reconciled us to himself by atoning for our sin. Through the body and the blood, we can be reconciled to God as we choose to repent of existing sin in your life. Repent of existing sin, church, over and over and over again. We are reconciled to God, but we also need to be reconciled to each other. (laughs) Watch out, church. This one stinks. You've heard me touch on it in the first few weeks I've been here. This is Jesus. Remember Jesus? As you treated that person, as you treated that person, so you treated me. The body that he had broken, that was, he then called us the body. I said we would consider two basic definitions for reconciliation today. So here's the second. Reconcile. To reestablish, settle, and resolve a relationship with another. 
to reestablish, settle, and resolve a relationship with another. This often means releasing remorse, bitterness, and disagreements which have previously existed. I was recently around someone who was talking about how they had been on the outs with some of their friends. Everybody know what I'm talking about? You're on the outs with some of your friends. They didn't come to your gender reveal party. <laughs> Be careful, pastor. That's not nice. You're allowed to have one, but don't get mad if people don't come to it. They're all just as busy as you are. It's funny, we as Christians, how easy it is for us to be on the outs with someone. Listen, I would say this, the more you feel like you're on the outs with someone, the more time you need to spend with them and work towards that reconciliation. If you both say you're Christians, you, both, you can't be. You can't be a Christian if your desire is not for reconciliation. I'll tell you something else, folks. Some of you come up to me and talk to me about people you used to go to church with, this, that, or the other. And talk, you know how hard it is for me when you're saying, I'm still upset at them, I'm still bitter at them, I still don't like anything they said? Ugh. But when I don't pull you up for leadership, right? Because you know what the scriptures say. You, it, it says you got to go make it right. I don't care if it was 10 seconds ago or 20 years ago. Maybe I'm just a little too simple sometimes or naive in my Christian walk. But I thought, how can I say that I'm a Christian and be on the outs with someone? I've found that in any Christian relationship that if at least one person out of the two, is adamant about making amends and pursues the idea with humility of heart. I'm not saying you say sorry, hoping they'll say sorry back. That's not humility of heart. If you pursue the idea with humility of heart and a desire to reconcile, it becomes very, very difficult to stay on the outs. Almost any time I've heard that two people are on the outs, there's a good chance that both of them need to get something right. I'm not judging y'all. I'm not, when you come tell me a story, I'm not going to, maybe a little bit, maybe a little. Generally speaking, though, I like to get along with people. If you don't like to get along with people, you got to come get saved today. I'm serious. There's too many things that we think can exist in a Christian life or we've justified that just don't work. You, Romans teaches us that as much as it depends on you, you should be at peace with all people, regardless of their political party. Regard, regardless of how they identify as a gender. Supposed to be at peace with them. I'm sure we can all see the similarities between the word communion and community. One of the primary purposes of communion is the community that exists within the body of Christ. In, in 1 Corinthians 10, 16, and 17, Paul says, Is not this the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread... We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. The church is the body of Christ, and you cannot remain a healthy member of the church if you are not in full communion with the members of this body. We cannot hold on to grudges, remorse, and bitter feelings that we have towards others. Anytime that a church goes through the difficult transition of changing leadership, difficulty in relationships between each other are almost unavoidable. There's difficulties there. But those are challenges. Those are to make us better. You can have hard feelings towards someone that left. You can have hard feelings towards someone that stayed. And one of the most foolish things that we could do in this case is just to believe that time is just going to heal the situation. Did you know when it comes to bitterness and vengeance and remorseful feelings towards others, Time does not heal. This is what God gave me on that subject. It creates landmines. 
for the future in that relationship that could be stepped on sight unseen and cause a bigger explosion and cause more damage? What landmines exist in your relationship where bitterness has not been dealt with? We have to give these relationships over to God. We need to find that person in the church or outside the church that we have less than holy feelings towards and wrap our arm, arms around them. Remaining, remaining bitter, well, you know, I was going to say remaining bitter will cause nothing but pain for all parties. But about 10 years ago, I heard a pastor preach a message on bitterness. And he said something in that sermon that has just stuck with me ever since. Being bitter towards someone else is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Do you know how many people that you're sitting around bitter at thinking that it's hurting them and they don't even know or care? Well, I'm not going to talk to them anymore. They, pro they, they might not even want you to talk to them anymore. You might be making them the happiest person in the world. I'm joking, right? You're all very nice people. Who wouldn't want to talk to you? Remain <laughs> Remaining bitter is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. They don't care that you're mad at them. They don't care. The only one you're tearing apart is yourself. Jesus taught in the Sermon of the Mount, uh, on the Mount that our prayers to him were unacceptable when we had anything against this person. I'll tell you what, the more and more I read this book, those 66 books, 39 in the old, 27 in the new, the more and more that I read them, the more simple it becomes. And I'm going, do you know how much we don't like phrases like this. We just read right away. Well, if, 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 if I regard iniquity in my heart, God won't hear my prayer. If I have an issue with me and a brother or sister in Christ, God won't hear my prayer. Do you know how many people have come to these altars? Do you know how many people have knelt beside their bed day in and day out for, day in and day out for months, for years, for decades, and God hasn't heard a word that you've said because you've regarded iniquity in your heart or you've had something between you and another brother or sister in Christ? Not me. The Bible says that. I just want to remind you of it and say it out loud because the Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word of God. Not hearing you. God's not hearing your prayers. How much does that stink? How many of you right now would like to think about how much time you've spent in prayer where you still didn't like the sight of that person walking inside the church? God goes, uh-uh, I'm not hearing it. Because he says, my desire is to see all y'all get along. And there's nothing that's bigger than that, so go take care of that first. Communion today requires reconciliation to one another. Nothing will heal you like reconciling with a brother or sister in Christ. And let me tell you this. In this church, we'll talk more about this, but we, we take what we call an open communion. And I'm going to go ahead and invite uh, the team, the ones that are going to participate to share time of worship with us. Uh, we'll go ahead and invite them to come up. But that means we don't, we don't judge you. We don't count who, how many, we don't have our attendance number and then see how many took communion so we can judge how spiritual we are. I have not taken communion before. Do you know why? Because of everything that I just said. If you're in right standing with God, you should, I, I believe as a believer, you should take it as often as, as you can when you're in the fellowship of believers. But there's somebody that's not here at church today and you're on the outs with them. Let me tell you what, let's talk about what 1 Corinthians says about that. 1 Corinthians 27, 11, uh, 11, 27, 30. Paul gives further instructions regarding communion. He says, Whoever eats of the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a woman must examine herself, and in so doing she is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. 
For she who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to herself if she does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. You know, know, some of you women, you get upset about the Bible being masculine, so I thought I'd just change that one for you. Does that work okay? Men, you can all hear it, but you've read it that way. So I just, since you want to be equal, here we go, right? He, she who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to herself, and she does not judge the body rightly. Everyone in attendance here is free to participate in communion as long as you are living a life that is representative of the fact that you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Don't have to be a member of the Churches of Christ and Christian Union. Don't have to be a member of Capital City Church. We don't even have to know your name. We don't take a log, like I said. If you're a parent, I always think that you should be involved in the decision to let your child participate. But I always like to encourage people to say, Lord, examine me. And if there's anything between you and me, I want to get it right. By the way, you pray that prayer, the Holy Spirit's always right there, right? You've, you've, never, had it, you've never prayed for 45 minutes for you. He brings it right there because he's good to us. He brings conviction quick and concisely and helps us. And we know what we're, where we're supposed to be if we're walking in the Spirit. And I'll tell you, some of you might go, oh, we're taking communion. He's going to do this or that again. This is my first communion with you. And I'm not, I don't know that we'll always take time to come to the altar, but our first time together, I thought, I really want to make sure that everybody gets the spirit of what we're trying to do here. Lord, examine me. And if there's anything between you and me, I want to get it right. Lord, if there's something between me and my brother or sister, I want to go make it right. Don't be remorseful towards someone else, church. Don't do it. It will steal your joy. And if nothing else, maybe maybe you think those are all right. It's an opportunity to just bow our heads and get our minds on Christ as we remember and give thanks for what he has done for us. So as they they sing this song, I'm going to ask you to stand. And as many as, as are willing, I'm going to ask you to come to this altar in preparation for this time of remembering together. You can come kneel at the altar. We've got some of the altar blocked in the front by communion tables but you're allowed to come to the back of the altar. Maybe if it's full, just as a representation of, of, of saying that I'm examining myself, you could just come and, and sit in one of the front rows or come towards, you're all gonna end up here anyway coming to get the elements. So if you just wanna go ahead and split up the trip, I think it'd be a great reason to do it. And during this time, I told you I was gonna give you an opportunity. We've got, we've got a song we're gonna sing and it, it's beautiful. It'll bless you. I'm going to come down to the altar, and and if this is okay, rest of the church, I'm going to reserve myself for one individual this morning, and that's an individual that by chance might say, I don't have what you're talking about. I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you're that person, you can walk walk right to the guy that's wearing the tire shirt, okay? Walk right up to him, and we'll help you accept Jesus Christ today, and you can take part in what's happening here.
I'm going to go ahead and invite those who are serving communion to come forward this morning and help us distribute the bread and the cup. They'll just come to one of the tables. Every one of you, you're all standing in the right place. No wrong place to be. 
you're all going to end up making your way here to the to the table uh, as whichever you can pick you can pick the table that's closest to you or the people that you think look the nicest today it's fine um, but just go ahead as as uh, just go ahead and make your way if you're going to be participating today just find your way to one of the tables and uh, if you find a traffic jam or bump into somebody on the way back to your seat just go ahead and Tell them it's good to see them, and we'll all find our way back to a spot. Uh, the only instructions for now is just go ahead and hold on to that bread and that cup um, until we can all take it together. Uh, as we just kind of take some time to do this, if you're watching online with us today, uh, it's certainly the spirit of what we're doing. If you don't have any grape juice or a wafer in your house, a piece of bread and any kind of juice or water, I know a lot of you wish you could be here with us today, but um, can't be, and this is still church for you, so please feel free to, to grab whatever's around the house so that you can participate with us. I'm going to ask I'm going to ask my mom and my dad who are here today to come stand up here with me. Because I told you he didn't ask my permission to have me on stage with him 30 years ago, so I'm not going to ask his. In Luke's account, Jesus said, with desire, I have desired to eat this meal with you before I suffer. last meal that he ate. That's why we call it the Last Supper. This is the first communion I get to take with you all, Cap City Church, and I have desired with a great desire to take it. I know with interim, some things kind of fall off the calendar, and maybe we haven't, as a church, taken it as much as some of you have liked to seen, and uh, we'll take it more than what has been taken this church most recently, so we'll, we'll take more time to do this together. Be quiet. I'm going to be quiet now. We'll just let the music play for another minute or two. Just go ahead and keep your mind on Jesus here until we uh, can do this together.
Matthew chapter 11, verses 26 through 30. It said, while they were eating, Jesus took some bread and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples. And after a blessing, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take and eat. This is my body. Jesus loved to talk in double meaning. I don't mean that mean I don't mean that to mean out of both sides of his mouth. I mean that it was bigger and had more meaning sometimes than we just see at face value. This is my body. Who is Jesus' body? We are his body. And when we talk about taking this communion, we're talking about participating in the fellowship of the suffering of Jesus Christ. And before they took that body, before they took that bread, they broke it. Let me be very, very clear to you this morning. Before Jesus can use anything, it has to be broken. It is the most difficult and most important prayer that you will ever pray. Holy Spirit, break me. Like the potter in the clay, like the, his body that was broken. He has to know that he can mold you into whatever he wants to make you. And that might mean he needs to rearrange your personality, your talents, your skills, your dreams, your wishes. Break all those, Jesus, so that it can be used by you. Remembering his body being broken, let's take the bread together. he took the cup, he gave thanks. And he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Won't drink it again, not when he gets to heaven, when we get to heaven. When you take the Lord's Supper in heaven, it will be the first time that Jesus has taken it since he ascended. Just what his word says, right? I'm not making anything up, but pretty wild thought. He's waiting to take communion with you. And this is the closest we can get until then, right? Here on earth. We read from Corinthians about taking it unworthily. And in that passage in Corinthians, it says that because some of you have taken it in the wrong spirit, some people are sick and some of you have even died. Now, I personally have never watched anybody drop over dead when they took communion unworthily, but I, I don't doubt that it happened because scripture said it did. But here's a thought for you. If some taking it unworthily have experienced sickness and death, could it be that as we take the blood in a worthy fashion that we find healing in life? Because that's what's in the blood, right? Healing and life. I'm going to ask my father to pray over the blood and then we'll take it together.
Take the cup. One more R word for you today, and that's rejoice. Last supper afterward said they sang a hymn. First Corinthians chapter five, Paul said, Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ our Passover has also been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. We can rejoice and celebrate today in that we have salvation in Christ and that we know the truth and the truth has made us free. We all have experiences from our spiritual journey, from our childhood, from the time we took, uh, took on Christ. If you get around the right theologians, they can argue anything in the Bible. And some could maybe argue about what hymn they sung that day after they took Passover. My Christian experience would tell you that it's the song, He is Lord. Countless times as I took communion, as my father distributed it, as we drank that blood, we just sang, He is Lord, He is Lord. He has risen from the dead, and He is Lord. Every knee shall bow, every tongue. That Jesus Christ is Lord. And so we confess that this morning, that you are Lord. We raise our hallelujah to you, God. We bless your holy name. We thank you for the body and the blood in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to be seated. And uh, we're going to go ahead and say goodbye to our viewers watching online. Members watching online, future guests, we pray that you'll consider joining us very soon on a Sunday morning at 1030 at the Rathmel Road campus um, with the understanding that though the road looks closed, the one place that you can get on Rathmel Road is Cap City Church. <laughs> you may not be able to get out, but we can get you here. I'm going to invite our ushers to come forward so that we can uh, receive your morning tithes and offerings. Um, and as you're coming, this is a reminder, we're trying to raise 40 kids sponsorships for Awana uh, for our summer, or, excuse me, our non-summer program. We work with the kids for nine, nine months on Wednesday night. Scott and Tara, our new children's directors, head that up, do a great job. Uh, they had 30-some kids last year. We want to see that number at 40.